You're listening to the Autism Weekly Podcast. Each week, we share community voices and bring light to stories that increase awareness, acceptance, equity, access, and inclusion. If you haven't already, subscribe to join the Autism Weekly family. I'm your host, Jeff Skabitsky. This week, we welcome photographer Scott Gutentag, who specializes in customizing photographs for people with autism and other diverse needs. It's a unique niche that few photographers pursue, especially when it comes to people on the spectrum who may benefit from an inclusive approach, including specialized visual assistants. Scott makes good use of both imaginative photography and developmental psych to make sessions comfortable for his subjects and to produce great final products. His work is taking on new importance as the entertainment industry includes more entertainers with different abilities. Additionally, he has photographed Love on the Spectrum and atypical cast members. Scott, we're thrilled to have you on today. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Jeff. My pleasure to be here. I'm excited. What I'd love to be able to do before we get into the nuance and the creativity that comes with your work is I'd, I'd love to understand how you got involved with a, a career that's really focused on empowering neurodivergence. Oh, yeah. So from a photography standpoint, um, well, you know, it's a interesting short story. I've interested in photography ever since a child and going on family vacation my dad and being able to push a button and just the power of the photography and creating and really pointing out and seeing what many times go unseen. And so that's always been a love. Um, I, I became a school psychologist, really focusing on assessing and coming up with support to interventions for individuals with uh, of different needs, diverse needs. And, and supporting them. So then after I established my photography business about seven years ago, I thought, you know, as photography evolved, why not meld these two areas and specialties of my understanding of uh, psychology, the world of people with different needs, diverse needs, neurodivergence, and my love for creative photography and, and, and put it together. And it's been a really, really fantastic experience. And so when I, when I think of photography and I think of the creativity that goes into it, especially when you're talking about portraits, is that the idea is that you're really showing who that individual is, which takes a craft. It takes the ability to kind of say, how am I going to highlight? How am I going to get through that? I'd, I'd love to get an understanding of even the process that you go through, because as a school psychologist, you had you have unique skills, but how do you get to know the the client that's coming in to get their photos done and really understand what it is they want to highlight about themselves. Mm, no, good point. Yeah. So what I always like to do is do a pre-meet. So meeting the clients ahead of time before the actual photography. So I get an idea of, of the view of the world, their thinking, their communication, their preferences, what they like, what they don't like. And it kind of gives me a window in terms of where they are perhaps developmentally. And so, like I said, I, I work with a range of individuals in the photography world from very young reasoning and thinking and how they view the world to very well accomplished individuals who are neurodivergent, who have relationships and, and have jobs, et cetera. Um, but it allows me to personalize experience to them of how much um, language to use, how much conversation, how concrete to go, 
uh, individuals functioning under two years developmentally or sensory motor. So they understand the world by touching and feeling and seeing and listening. So that allows me to personalize experience. So on the day of, of the photo session, it can be very individualized to, to their uh, profile and who they are so they can have a great experience and really capture the authentic them, who they are as, as, as people and capture all their personalities and, and help tell their story. And that's truly the sign of a, of a good photographer, but it's also the sign of somebody who's willing to understand that, you know, everybody's unique and I want to bring about the best of each person. It actually makes me think of when uh, my daughter was younger and my, my daughter is neurotypically developing, but I will say is that if somebody didn't take the time to observe to understand her interests, to be, we would never have gotten real, important or personalized photos out of it. And I think that I think of Eeyore because that's in the photo. Eeyore was in every single photo as a stuffed animal, but that's what made her joy come out. So the light in her eye was brought about because the photographer took the time. How do you, um, when you're working with children? who are neurodivergent or um, identify autistic, how do you make sure that, you know, the sensory components aren't pulling away from what they want to present or what their family's hoping for? Right. Yeah, no. Um, and it really varies in terms of what their sensory is. So I'll give you some examples. I worked with this uh, one of uh, actually an older individual, adult, who was functioning probably about three or four months and she had splints on her arms because she would really scratch or bite and so I would gradually touch but she would pull away so that told me not to get too close to that part uh, of her arm and not but her other side it was okay because sometimes have to gently partially physically prompt to move uh, the, the arm or perhaps the face a little bit or have the caregiver or parent do it in order to get that good look, but they have to allow for that. And that's some information I always want uh, to get in terms of, of what their sensory is. Sometimes a sensory could be visual or auditory or are sounds too uncomfortable for them. I had one lady, my oldest client was 91 years old and pro probably about three or four months developmentally. She fell asleep during my session periodically, which made sense. And uh, she had again, a splint onto her arms took them off and then uh, my assistant put cream and was rubbing her hands and that helped calm her and that helped her focus and get a beautiful relaxed gaze and, and do that with children as well. So really looking at developmental sensory aspect of those things that will help engage them and perhaps those things that won't engage them and I stay away from that and try another avenue of sensory. Again, I use a lot of music or a lot of vocals or a lot of uh, uh, tones, soft, uh, medium, and just to see how best to engage them from a sensory standpoint. And, and and I love the fact that you do that. I mean, it's going into a photography session as a child or even me as an adult is that no matter how relaxed you try and be, it's hard to relax. And like you're, you feel like you're putting on this extra face and you have to be rigid and I have to smile the right way and sit the right way. And being able to get somebody to the point where, you know, they are comfortable in the situation is probably that first big step. So what other benefits do you see kind of utilizing visual aids or utilizing um, even just cues or prompts might help some of the children as they're going through this? 
Yeah, and and just to piggyback off the the comfort level, you're you're absolutely right. It's very it feels very unnatural for anyone to be in front of a camera and give that authentic look, have the most beautiful smile, then it's gone. And so part of that process, individualizing, is going to the people's homes because a lot of times that's where they feel most comfortable. Sometimes one adult or one, one child actually would never wouldn't leave the dining room table. That's where he felt most comfortable. That's where the photography occurred. So how to bring in window light and try to make it really creative and, and beautiful for that individual. Uh, in terms of visual supports, it can come in, in different uh, ways. So that by meeting the individual ahead of time allows me to understand are they really concrete thinkers? Is using language alone to direct, such as move the nose over here, chin down, which can make a huge difference, may not really get that. How much do I move it? Where do I put my nose? That doesn't make sense. So I may uh, use my other finger to really guide it and say, keep going until I say stop. Uh, where to stand? I may put a, a color tape on the floor. I say stand on the tape so they know exactly where to stand. So it's, it's not so um, uh, confusing or abstract. It's very concrete. I may create a visual time schedule. So folks who need a lot of breaks and what, uh, what one individual told me, young man, about 15, said it's going to take 10 million years, right? Very bright person, but didn't get the concept of time. So for these individuals, I'll, I may draw four squares and have them check off the squares. So as they check off the squares, they visually see the passage of time. So I won't say five more minutes or when the big hand is on the clock, it's those squares. And when the squares are checked off, time for break, they look on their schedule, what's next? Oh, stuffed animal portrait time, or and they're the director, or it's mom time uh, for the camera, or it's time to jump on the trampoline. So I put it all in that visual system, either in simple words or pictures that help them guide through their session. So it's, it's comfortable and it's really uh, honoring and respecting their individual needs to, to get through the session as, as smoothly as possible. Yeah, and I mean, in order for somebody to to get to that comfort level is obviously you're doing so much behind the scenes as far as just being able to make sure that the environment is set up in a way that you took that pre-interview and applied it and everything like that. I almost think that what you're doing at the same time of doing that and modeling that has got to help parents for doing their own kind of more naturalistic photography at the home and catching those moments and being able to do kind of more of that because it's part of what we remember of our childhood is always set in photographic moments. It's not always the pure memory, but the memory triggered by something. Do you, do you work with the families as well as kind of like, hey, you know what, did you see how your, how your child did that? That's such a cool photo and this is how I got there. Um, do you coach? Yeah, I, I do some, some coaching. Uh, you know, I'll point out some of the visual supports or I may say, see what I did or see what I'm doing. And this is why. So kind of almost like a, a parent teaching, if you will, or, you know, the parents know their kids best. So I'll say, you know, your child, what do you think will work? Show me. And then so it really becomes a collaborative approach and, and really working together. Or if, if they see their child beginning to get a bit agitated and I missed a little minor uh, uh, behavior there, then they help me out. So we really see as a working relationship and a collaboration, and while also showing some things that may help, and that the best shot may not always be a looking in the camera smile. It may be something else. 
and, and whatever there is, however we can get that authentic look of their child, that's really important. Always, tr that's always the goal to get the look in the picture of the camera, a great smile. But there's so many other beautiful ways to create a, a, a photograph that will really last forever, and and, and how future generations are going to meet this individual. And like you said. I know photographs over time really take the place of memories and are more accurate that that becomes that time and it triggers like that, that experience. And that's what I want individuals to, to feel whenever they look at their images to reflect back on a positive time, a fun time, a positive experience. Every time we look at a picture, like it triggers what happened time. And I want that time to be positive and put a smile on their face. Yeah, I, I applaud the collaborative effort that you have. It's, it's, it's one of those things that even in the clinical sphere right now, that's that's something that we need to be putting more emphasis on. And the fact that you're doing that in your photographic practice, it's it's something that is immeasurable in, in the value that you're that you're including with that. Um but you also do adult work. I mean, you do headshots, obviously, because you have uh, some of your clients were from the, the cast members of the Love on the Spectrum and Atypical. Is that where headshots are a little bit more professional, a little bit more rigid at times? They don't have to be. Have you have you run into where you know you're working with people and you're like, you know what, this shouldn't be a rigid headshot this needs to bring about your true personality which i wish somebody was able to do with my headshot but do you see that more or less with the neurodivergent uh client base where they're saying no i don't want to do the typical headshot i want to do one that represents me um you know they they really follow my lead actually and so or even the the, the parents or the viewers i will ask uh, what are you looking for? And sometimes they say, you're the professional, you, you, you tell me, or let's just go, let's see how it goes. So a lot of times I just start with, just, just, just start there. Just, you know, go relax wherever your hands go. But sometimes that's a beautiful shot. Sometimes people just go where they naturally go in terms of a turn or a look or where their hands go. But typically for individuals who are neurodiverse, um, I find I need to give a lot more concrete directions. So, and once I see them, I kind of get an idea of maybe some looks that would look good. I always try a variety, kind of happy, a smile, a serious look, and some are more conducive than others, and like everybody, uh, but I, I have to just get really concrete and visually show and model, or, or maybe instead of saying, give me an attitude shot, if there's a character on a TV show they follow, I may say, remember that character, look like him in their mind oh that's what it looks like that's what he wants rather than trying to manipulate where the nose and eyes goes i try to make it very familiar uh, to the individual yeah and i find that i find that unique and, and interesting is that one of the hallmark characteristics that you'd that you'd see as far as defined autism would be the the emotional reciprocity being able to understand and present one's emotional response in what would be a quote-unquote typical way um and when you're doing that, it's it's almost like you said is, OK, so utilizing a model of somebody that they have seen or that they would see as representing that and mimicking that emotion, if creating that same feeling within your own facial response is challenging. Um, but that goes with acting as well. So when you're talking about a lot of the entertainers that you're working with is that there wasn't a very 
big inclusive environment for them along for a long period that like gets changing and i'm glad that it's changing but what you're doing helps with that i think how has creating these headshots how has creating these authentic selves helped for people to be able to evolve in their careers on the entertainment side uh, well, I think, you know, with a headshot, you know, listening to casting directors and talent agents, the headshot is really the number one important part of one's resume. So when casting directors are looking at a whole slew of headshots and sometimes pretty small headshots, they're looking at ones that really pop out professionally, authenticity, and obviously those that will fit the role that, that they're looking for. So I think really giving them an opportunity, an equal opportunity to um, have equal access um, to compete for that particular part by, by showing their true authentic selves. And getting that authentic self can be a very different process than traditional headshot photography. So I've included stuffed animals in the process. And if um, I may joke with them and say, don't laugh, don't laugh, keep it in, especially if they're expressive, they'll just be, uh, burst out laughing. When they're kind of done laughing and, and that gentle smile, that's the relaxed smile shot. And so going through that process to, to, again, get that authenticity that casting directors are looking for, this kind of levels a playing field, you know, with other neurotypical folks who, who have the professional shots. Oh, my goodness. There's so much art and science to this. <laughs> it's, it's just kind of like whenever I think of different professions that I don't know much about, I'm always in awe of all the details that go into it. Um, but I mean, you talk about authenticity, you talk about response to some of these sessions. Um, what what do you see or what do you hear from um, children as they're seeing these photographs come back and they're getting to see some really cool pictures of themselves caught in the moment or at times where they are kind of in a posed situation? What's what's the feedback from from the children that that are finally getting this opportunity? You know, it's um, most, if not all, the feedback is actually from the parents and caregivers. So, so the children, especially if they're very young, don't really appreciate the value of photographs unless it's one of them running and it's their, or they have a special, their, or if they have a special stuffed animal, those are the ones they're going to really like and appreciate. And, and in terms of using that to getting to a shot of looking in, in the camera is what parents really appreciate and are excited. It's just this excitement of, oh my gosh. That's it. Yes, did it. And, and it's just the power of photography, you know, to bring that emotion out, especially in parents and caregivers uh, of getting that shot that they can proudly hang in their home and to really personalize and make that home homey for the individuals. And so when folks walk right in, they know who this home belongs to. So sometimes, depending on where the child is developmentally, they recognize it, they appreciate it, but not always. The folks I, I work with, they don't really have that recognition. Uh, uh, certainly the, the adults with autism, they appreciate that and they love looking at it, especially when there's a story behind it of how they got it, like with their favorite characters or a laugh or bringing family members into the shoot with them. Um, it's they, they really have, have that uh, familiar appreciation. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll self-disclose as probably the worst child to photograph in the world is that nobody would catch me in the right moment. I was probably more obstinate than most. And it was always such a challenge. So I know that if if my parents were able to receive the, the the guidance or the support to help me to be able to really 
get that photographic moment for them versus always with the head turned and everybody else looking forward or I mean I guess that's the authentic me though so I guess uh, that's a whole different story <laughs> but or sometimes uh, upside down I've had parents where the child is almost upside down or sideways it's a great shot that's the kid you know kids you can almost get whatever you and it looks cute right and then the parents and to me I'm fine with that because that's mm -hmm. That's wonderful. That's a great, great uh, uh, experience. And that's the child. Yeah, it's, it's almost the difference between the Instagram moment versus the real life moment. And being able to blend those together is pretty is it's a, a pretty fun thing to be able to do. So what what advice do you have for parents? A lot of times this has not been a successful venture for them is going to these uh, these sessions. It creates anxiety. It, it makes everybody a little bit on edge. So, I mean, what would you be telling a family before they even came into the studio of how to prep for it or or maybe even how to process what this event might feel like? Yeah, no, that's and that's part of the reason for the pre-meet. And a lot of photographers do that, especially child photography, um, where we really meet with the parents and, and, and children ahead of time. I think with people with diverse needs, it's a little bit different in terms of maybe some, some tools I'm going to bring, or I'm gonna say, we're gonna to work together and mom, dad, you're on vacation today, leave it to me. And I'm going to be working to try to get this beautiful, wonderful shot, no matter what I do, keep looking at me because instinctively, parents are gonna be looking down, like, are they doing it? What are they doing? Are, are they paying attention? Say, don't worry about it, all right, I, I got this. And I'll bring parents into the mix, but I want to kind of give them a day off, if you will, so they don't feel so stressed. I have a portrait style guide that offers frequently asked questions and gives them guidance in terms of always a question, what should I wear? So I give guidance for that. But what I also say, especially for those uh, with diverse needs, is that whatever they feel comfortable within the most. Um, and, and that's really important because if one does not feel comfortable in their own skin, with clothing, whatever it may be, or reflect in the photograph. So there's a lot of behind the scenes prep and a lot of encouragement. There's sometimes a lot of back and forth of the parent asking or wanting clarification. I check in with them. So by the time the session comes, it's like, I'm ready. <laughs> and then I have fun with them. I just have fun. Parents, I get pictures of themselves, bring them back to their engagement session or honeymoon. It's kind of cute. They laugh. So once we get going, it further relaxes everyone. Yeah, just just talking with you, Scott. I mean, I I hear the the values that are out there, and and whether it's creating that trust, that respect, that individualization, the enjoyment of a process, the patience, um, all of those are such commendable qualities to bring into those events, which could be stressful. So, where where can people learn about the work that you're doing? And I mean, I guess another question would be, is that those that don't live in your area, how do how do even you find somebody who specializes in this? Yeah, so, um, well, for me, to find me first, it's I try to make it easy. It's all my name. So my website, scottgutentag.com, my social media, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, and um, Twitter. It's all Scott Gutentag, so feel free to check that out. And then, yeah, so out of state, uh, probably one, one of the best, are, or there are several ways. You can uh, look, uh, find a local organization like Autism Societies and different organizations for intellectual disability as well, just depending on what the profile of the student meets, cerebral palsy or epilepsy. And a lot of times they may have connections. Um, if not that, uh, the good old fashioned Google 
And so it's, but it is tricky because what, what I found is that you get folks who may say they work with people with disabilities, but you see the portfolio, they don't always find them or it's, it's a smattering. So my first step will probably go through the organizations and also the parent organizations, uh, local parent organizations for again, autism uh, societies and or chad uh, for adhd you know those groups of family support because parents and families talk when they find someone they're going to share that with other individuals well i scott i appreciate the fact that you've blended your knowledge base with school psychology into your artistic passion with photography and I think that by being able to put that out there hopefully others are going to learn from this as well and that you'll see more people going into this uh, this field, and we call it a niche, but I mean, ultimately, everything that you're describing, I think, helps everybody. So it's probably you're creating very skilled photographers in the process of what you're establishing right now. So I, I appreciate what you've done, and and thank you for coming on to our podcast to be able to talk with us about it. Oh, thank you. No, my, my pleasure, Jeff. Very excited about this, and thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS Kids. ABS Kids is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS Kids and the Autism Weekly Podcast by visiting abskids.com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week.